So have you ever been in exile? And you're like, that's a weird way to start, John. Why don't you think about that? Have you ever been in exile? And maybe you're a very um, literal person, and you're going, well, the definition of an exile is to be banned from one's own home country. No, John, I've never been banned from my home country. But I, wanna, I want you to think about it this way, from this definition. What if exile is to be away from that which you knew, to be away from what you had hoped for, for what you had dreamed of, away from the plans that you had for your life, away from what you thought your life would look like? With that definition, I ask again, have you ever been in exile? Yeah. I think we all have. I think early on in life, I can remember, um, you know, at different points in our life, different things can kind of give us that feeling, right? And, uh, and so often what we can do is we can kind of trivialize those things that uh, are for people that maybe are behind us or younger than us. And we go, well, that's not really as big of a deal as you think it is. You'll get past it. Uh, but something that I've learned is that a crisis is a crisis because someone feels that it is one, not because, that you, not because you agree that it is one. And so when I think back uh, to my life for some of those points, one of the points uh, of being, uh, feeling like I was in exile, of being away from what I had thought and hoped and planned on was when I got dumped by my very first girlfriend. <laughs> Someone's laughing at me. Hey, Don, I see it's you. Isaiah, yeah, back in high school, I mean, I, 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 know I'm, I know I'm very good looking and suave now, but back in high school, <laughs> you can laugh at that one. Uh, back in high school, I, I, you know, man, it, was, it was tough, it was a tough go for me. So when I finally had a girlfriend, and then I got dumped, I mean, not only are you away from what you had hoped for, but also apparently it was your fault, right? There's something about you that made you get dumped. It was terrible. It was terrible. And uh, I just remember feeling so down and so, just try, so, so distraught and just trying to figure out uh, what was next for me and how I was going to make this work. And I had a very good friend who, just, who, knew, who knew that just because, just because she knew it was something I would get over. She knew it wasn't anything big, but she also knew for me at the time it was big. It felt big. And so she just loved me through it. And the way that she did, she actually uh, left me a magnet with this verse on it. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for, to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And that was a verse that just spoke so much into my soul, and not just because of where I was at the time, but honestly because of my entire life. Something that, like that, to know that I had a God who had plans for me. It spoke so boldly into my life. And not only that, did it help me kind of get through that time in my life, but it's a verse that has stuck with me, uh, frankly, for my entire life. It's actually what my life verse is today. And today we're continuing our series called Life Verse, where you're going to get to hear from different speakers throughout the month of July as they share what their life verse is, what it means to them, and hopefully also what it can mean to you. Uh, and we would love to hear what your life verse is. A life verse is something as simple as uh, maybe it's one of those verses uh, that you first memorized as a kid or one of those verses that every time you hear it, it just speaks to you, right? It's something you grab a hold of and you go, man, I needed to hear that again. Or every time you hear it, you hear something new or um, whether it's a good time in your life or a time that you're struggling, it's just exactly what you needed to hear at that time. And what I would say is a life verse is something that defines and drives our life. Right? It's something that gives our life definition, something that gives our life meaning, and it's also something that drives us in our life. And so if we look at my, my life verse, which is Jeremiah 29, 11, that's my life verse, uh, what I would say is my definition from that is that God knows and God is in control. Right? That's my life definition. And what I would say is that you know, that can be tough for me at times because it doesn't say I know and I'm in control. 
and I want to know. I want to know what the plans are. I want to know what's happening. I want to know what my future looks like. I want to know what my next step is. I want to know when I get out of this place of exile. But God knows. So I don't know, but God knows, and God is in control. And what I'd say is what drives my life is that I'm going somewhere, and somewhere is good. You might say, man, that's pretty, that's pretty up in the air, like going somewhere. That's all he promises, right? And the verse just says, he has plans for me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. And so that's the only thing I can take from this verse is that I'm going somewhere. And I may not like where I am right now. I may not like the life of exile that I'm in right now. I may not like what's happening right now. But the good news is I know I'm going somewhere else. And that somewhere is good. I don't know where it is. I don't know when it is. But God knows and God is in control. Right? You go back to your life definition. And so like I said, we would love to hear what your life verse is. And maybe you're developing one throughout this series. Uh, the best way of letting us know kind of what that verse is, you can stop at either of our, uh, either of our connection centers, which are out these doors. They have a sheet that you can kind of write it down for us uh, to go the low-tech route. But uh, the high-tech route would be is use any of our social media platforms and just use this hashtag, SGLifeVerse. Uh, so put your life verse and put hashtag SGLifeVerse after it, and our, uh, our communications team will be able to find that. And we would just love to kind of hear what your life verse is. But here's what I would challenge you with is one of the dangers of just speaking on a verse is that often we can try to make it say what we want it to say. Right? When it's just one verse completely out of context, we can make it say whatever we want. Right? And so often that's what happens with a verse like this, like Jeremiah 29, 11. You ever noticed this is a verse that's out there a lot? Like I am not very unique in that this is my life verse. Right? I'm not like, this isn't some obscure passage. This is like on pillows and on coffee mugs and on t shirts, on, on every graduation card ever written. Right? Uh, everybody does this. I even, when I sign graduation cards, I sign this for confirmation cards because I, I, you know, it's my life first, but I, I believe it has something good to say. But that's because so many people make it say whatever they want. And so often it's things like, well, well he knows the plans he has for me, and they are what I want. Right? <laughs> They're everything I want, right? Back in the day, like back in high school when I had gotten dumped, I could say, well, he knows the plans in there that we're going to get back together. Or he knows that I'm going to get an even hotter girlfriend and make her jealous, right? <laughs> right? We can make it say whatever we want, and that's often what we do. And so the key for any of these verses, right, is to really look at the context and to say, okay, what is God actually saying? Because this is, uh, this is a verse that is a part of a bigger text that was written to a specific people at a specific time, but it does have truth for us, right? And so we want to be clear that we want to look at what is God actually saying. We don't want to twist his words. We don't want to make it say just what we want it to say. Uh, here's some seminary words for you just so you actually know that I know some things. Um, there's eisegesis versus exegesis. All right? Eisegesis is uh, kind of the dangerous practice of reading yourself into the text of saying, this is what, I, this is what I'm, I think it should say. This is what I want it to say for my life. Versus exegesis, which is saying, what is God actually saying? Pulling it out of, right? Ice means into, X means take out, right? What do we actually take out of what God is actually saying? And so that's what we want to do. We want to actually like exegete this. We want to look at this and say, okay, what, uh, what's going on here? What is God actually saying? So we're going to take a look at the entire um, kind of section of text in Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 14. It's on page 656 in your chair Bible. So there's, if you're in the front row, they're underneath you. Uh, if you're in any other row, they're just right in front of you. You can also pull up your uh, Bible app on your phone and open up there. It's not going to be on the screen, so I encourage you to keep your Bible open. We're going to come read a couple verses, talk about it, read a couple verses, talk about it. So leave it open. That'll be good. Uh, this text is written by, surprise, Jeremiah, uh, hence the name of the book, and uh, it's written by uh, Jeremiah, who is a prophet of God, and a prophet is someone who speaks God's word to God's people. 
Now, Jeremiah uh, was also known as the weeping prophet. Yeah, that's a, great, that's, that's a great thing to be remembered by, right? He was always depressed. He pretty much was, right? Because he had to write and talk to God's people. He had to present God's people with some very difficult news over and over again. Uh, also, he was the guy that wrote Lamentations, an entire book that laments, an entire book that's sad, <laughs> right? Over and over again, he has to write this. This is the guy that wrote that. So, I mean, he was not speaking to God's people during kind of a, a, a riveting time of their life. It was pretty tough. It was pretty difficult. And so what I want us to do is have that in the back of our minds. It was written like 2,600 years ago uh, to God's people at that time. But there is truth for us in this text, and we want to hear that truth as well. So we start with verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother and eunuchs, uh, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa to the son of Shaphan and uh, Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Lots of good names in there, let me tell you what. Looking for a kid's name? Nebuchadnezzar. Come on, imagine that. Come here, little Nebby. Nebby, wouldn't that be great? Nebby, a cute name. Uh, what, what I love, there are so many names, and the reason that I just uh, tried to get through all those crazy names was to make a point, right? God is being specific here. He's writing to a specific people at a specific time. There are names of people who actually delivered this to them. And what he's, who he's writing to is he's writing it to actual exiles, right? To those who are in exile, he is speaking to. And I want you to see this. These are people who are in actual exile, right? The actual definition to be removed from one's native country. Everything that they know. If we look at this map, they were taken from Jerusalem over there on the left, over into Babylon on the right, right? They literally removed from everything that they know, from their businesses, their farms, their, their homes. Everything that they knew was taken away. That's kind of how Babylon would handle uh, people that it would conquer. It would actually uh, exile them, bring them into their nation and get them to intermarry, and it would kind of help um, squash any rebellions that would raise up. And so this is written to a specific people at a specific time, but there is truth in here for us. Verse 4, this is what it said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It's important. God is in control of this exile. God's in control of his people being in a place that they never hoped, dreamed, or imagined to be. And now maybe this is true for us as well. When we think about those times in our life where we feel like we're in exile, we're away from what we had hoped, dreamed, or imagined. We're not in that job that we thought we'd always be in. We're not in that marriage or the marriage doesn't look like what we thought, always thought it would be. Or we're not in that home that we thought would be. Or our finances don't look like they were. Our kids aren't acting like we thought they would. Or our family's not working out. Or relationships are working Whatever it might be. Sure, there are times in life that others make decisions and choices and do things that impact us and hurt us and force us into a place of exile, a place away from everything we know. But let's be real honest, there are plenty of times that you and I have done things and made choices and gone against what God has called for our lives. That's what happened here. The reason he moved them, he put them into exile is because they continued to rebel against God over and over and over. 
And let's be honest, we're sinners. Your pastor is a sinner. I'm not even bad at it. I'm a good sinner. <laughs> right? And the reality is our sin can cause us to be an exile. God may move us from one place to another because we continue to go against what he hopes for our lives. Not for a punishment, but more so that maybe we can wake up. We can go, oh yeah, that's not the way we should be living and that's not what we should be doing. I think it's really important that we take a step back and we say, you know, there are times that, you know, maybe others are just going against God's will and it impacts me and it makes my life, you know, makes me be in a world of exile, but maybe, just maybe there's something in my life that I'm doing that puts me in that place as well. Here's what he says to them. Now, I want to warn you, uh, these next few verses are very much specifically to God's people at that time. Got it? Okay, because it says this. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Um, take, wives, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So if you're in exile right now, do not go build a house or go find another wife or have kids and find wife. Okay, that's what this, right? This is written specifically to a people at the time, right? This is what he wants them to do. But I think there's something interesting, honestly, just a, a thought about this. Uh, because the, the point that it says, another translation says, increase there and do not decrease. I really like that. Because I think it's a challenge to us. How often do we get in a place of exile? Do we get in a place that, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here, and we just get so trapped, up, uh, trapped into this idea. I don't want to be here. This isn't the place I want to be. This isn't how life is supposed to go for me. And so I'm just going to stand here, and I'm just going to be angry, and I'm just going to decrease and decrease, decrease and decrease. And I'm going to be less and less of who God has made me to be because I'm angry and I'm bitter. What might God say to you today? Even in that place of exile, Maybe, just maybe, there's a way for you to increase. For you to be more of who God has made you to be. For you not to be resentful. For you not to get so wrapped up in the negative side of things and the things that you would not wanted. But instead, to increase. To increase who God has made you to be. To increase the love that you give. To increase the love that you share with others of who he is. And that's what it goes on to talk about in the next verse, right? It says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Oh, sorry, uh, sorry, verse seven. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Again, very specifically to his people then, right? He's saying, hey, the city that you're in now, take care of it, be nice to it. And I would say, again, this is not specifically to us, but there's some truth in it for us. How often do we get in that place of resentment, that place of exile, and we're so angry that we start to tear everything around us down? We start to take it out on everybody around us, everything that's going on around us, every, every situation. You know, you're in a job that you don't like, your, co your coworkers, you treat them like it's their fault. Things aren't going well at home, and you treat your family like it's their fault. You get in a place and you just tear everything down around you. What might God tell you today? Maybe it's time to live in a way that builds up that place of exile that you're in. Maybe you're like, this isn't what I wanted, this isn't what I hoped for, this isn't even a good place to be, but you know what? What if I built it up? What if I actually made it a better place? 
What kind of message would that be to others, not only to the value that they have to you, but especially the value that they have to God? What kind of witness and testimony might that be? I don't know, just something interesting to think about. So think about what happens when we end up in exile. And here's something that I think is very specific um, to them, but it's also very important for us. If we continue in verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Uh, what's interesting, sometimes when you teach a whole text like this, it gets very difficult to focus in on kind of one uh, point, which is why it's so difficult to kind of go through. Because, I mean, God's covering a lot in these 14 verses, right? But over and over again, what God is doing is he keeps bringing it back to, it's about me. It's about my plans for you. I have plans for you. It's, you know, this is what I want, right? I want you to increase, not decrease. I want you to take care of the land that's around you. Here's what I want for you. I have plans for you. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what you're doing. I have plans. But God is very specific about his plans. And God knows what the plans are. And the problem is sometimes we are not in the know of what God's plans are. And we'll sit there and we want to know what's going to happen. We want to know what's going to go on. When, God, when will I get out of this? Right? I don't know how many times I've heard people say, if I just knew the date and the time that I would stop feeling this way, or that my marriage would get fixed, or that this would happen, or that would happen, or I'd find that new job, whatever it is, or that my kid would come out of this, this trouble and trial that they're going through, whatever it is, I could get through it if I just knew the date. And we start to kind of put these ideas out there and go, God, well, this is what I need from you. Please give me what I need from you. And when he doesn't, because he doesn't promise that, when he doesn't, sometimes we'll start to turn to other things and look for kind of some false hopes. This is what had happened to God's people. Uh, in chapter 28 of Jeremiah, uh, it actually talks about a false prophet called Hananiah. Hananiah had come. Uh, God did not send Hananiah. God did not give Hananiah words. But Hananiah wanted to make people feel better. Probably also wanted to feel a little bit special, right? If, can you imagine when you're in that place of exile, when you're in that place of, I don't want to be here, this isn't where I want to be, and someone tells you, hey, guess what? There's only a couple years of this and you'll be okay, and we'll be back home, and everything will be out of it. What are you going to do? You're going to grab a hold of that, aren't you? And you're going to listen to that, and that's false hope, because the reality is it didn't come from God, and that's what Hannah and I did. They pro he proclaimed, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be re returned to your land in just a few years. And here's the, here's the realities. When we're in the midst of our exile, the last thing that we need is a mirage of a better place. We need God's truth to actually get us to a better place. And that's what Hannah and I was doing, right? They were putting out this idea of a false good news. And let's be honest, there are lots of teachers out there, there are lots of preachers out there that will give you a false good news. Why? Because you want to hear that, right? When you're in the midst of debt, or you're in the midst of trials, or you're in the midst of loss, and someone promises you the world... You're going to want to hold on to that, and you're going to want to hear that. And let me tell you, there are a lot of people out there. There are a lot of preachers, or there are a lot of uh, speakers, there are a lot of self-help gurus, a lot of books, a lot of YouTube channels, a lot of all sorts of things that are out there that will try and give you hope. And a lot of them will have just enough of this sprinkled in to make it sound like it's true. I mean, just think, if I just preached to you on Jeremiah 29, 11, and we didn't talk about the context at all, I could, I could promise you just about anything, Right? Man, you're in debt today, but God promises you hope in the future you're going to be a billionaire. No, you're not. 
And if you are, you're my new best friend. <laughs> but you can take this and make it say, you know, say anything. And the reality is we need to be in God's word. We need to actually check these things and say, okay, but what is God's word actually saying? And here's what, here's what happened. The way that uh, they were able to check on what God's word actually said was God sent Jeremiah. It says this back in uh, 28. I'm just going to read it real quick. It says, And Jeremiah the prophet, the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. I will rem- um, this year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. And in that same year, that's in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. It came true. Here's how you know if things are true, is if they come from here, if they actually come from God's word. This is how we check things. Even with us, when we get up here and preach, it is not just about just trusting us. And it's a good thing, you know, you're a part of a church body. There's a value of being a part of a church body because you get to know me, you get to know Pastor Tim, you know our hearts, but you also know that we're accountable to how we teach the truths of the Bible. We're part of a denomination that holds us accountable to that. I can tell you, I am not the best preacher in the world. Pastor Tim's better, but he's still not the best preacher in the world. You can listen online to a million better preachers, but what I would challenge you with is this. Be very careful that you don't fall into a trap of false good news. And that you check the things that you hear with Scripture and with what God's Word actually says. It's why we're looking at the context of verse 11 today. Because again, I don't want you to have a mirage of a better place. I want you to actually end up in a better place. That's why God calls us out and does this. And uh, again, I mean, the fact that Hannah and I died when Jeremiah said, I mean, that's kind of proof, right? Proof's in the pudding. All right, if we go on with verse 10. Because here's the reality, right? Hannah and I had said it had been a couple of years. It says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. 70 years. If you remember the first verse we read, this letter was written to the elders of the exiles. Elders, elderly. Get it? They were old. And he's telling them, well, in 70 years, I'll give you my promise. In 70 years, I'll bring you back. Can you imagine how they felt? Like, really? We like what that Hananiah guy said better. Right? I got a better chance of making it a couple years. 70. I'm not going to see this. I'm not going to make it. But this was what God's promise actually was in 70 years. And guess what? In 70 years, they returned home. But it was 70 years. And so here's the reality is God's promises go beyond you. And so often we get caught up in our, our world of an exile and we get caught up in what's happening to us and we think it's all about me, but God has a much, pic, much bigger picture in mind than we do. God's promises are bigger than and better than and go far beyond what you might have planned. And so when we read this next verse, you have to remember, this is God saying, in 70 years I have this for you. In 70 years this is what's going to happen for you. And this next verse, it very much speaks to us because there are other places in the Bible that it tells us that God has plans for us and God knows what's going to happen for us and God wants good things for us. But realize it is not about your timetable. It's not about your plans. 
So we read verse 11. Listen to how many times he says I, right? 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has plans, and those plans are good. And those plans have you in mind. But those plans are bigger than and better than and go beyond what you're hoping for. And so right now, I can't stand here and say that, hey, whatever you're going through right now, God is going to take you out of it, and you're going to be better tomorrow or the next day or five years from now or 20 years from now or even 50 years from now. I don't know because it doesn't say that. He doesn't have that specific message in here. And if I stood here and said that, guess what? I'd be giving you false good news. I'd be giving you a mirage to build your hopes upon. And guess what? That mirage is going to fall through. But here's what I can tell you is our God has plans. Our God has had plans from the very beginning for you and for me. And here's the thing. Maybe those plans are simply this. The exile that you're in right now, you will live in. And you will be in until the day you die. But know this. Your God has plans for you. Plans that give you a hope and a future even beyond death. A hope and a future that were one for you through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so maybe you look around at your world today and you look at the exile that you feel that you're in today and God doesn't say it's going to be done tomorrow or the next day, but God says it will be done because it's already been bought and won for you and eternity with me is what you have. And so when you get down in the dumps and you wonder, how am I going to make it another step? How am I going to go any further? You remember this, that at the end of it all, the worst thing that could ever happen to you in this life is to die. That is the worst thing that could ever happen to you in this life is for this life to be over. And guess what? Even that doesn't have the last victory. Even that doesn't have a win. Because after that, you have life and life eternal with the Heavenly Father. You have Him for all of eternity. How much better can that be? How much better can your life be right now to know that that is the ultimate goal? And maybe God is going to do some things in your life and get you out of exile here and now. I don't know. Maybe he's going to let you be in the exile for right now because there are things and there are people around you who need you in that exile because his plans go beyond you. Maybe there are things that are happening in your life right now that you go, why God, why? And he says, sweetheart, you can't handle the why. Leave that up to me. But I know I have plans for you, plans that give you a hope and a future, plans that are promised to you from all of eternity. And that's why my closing question to you is this. Are you going to be in love with the plans, or are you going to fall in love with the planner? This is what it says, starting in verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God has promises that are bigger than and better than and go far beyond your plans. The things that you're hoping for right now, God says, oh, a little one. I have so much more in store for you than that. 
Those plans that you're hoping for right now, those things that you want to get out of right now, God says, no, I have more for you. I have more for you. I am going to bring you back out of that exile. And let me tell you, folks, this place can be a land of exile. And God says, I will bring you back, and I will bring you to me. And so are you going to be in love with the plans or the planner? Are you going to put your hopes and dreams in the plan or the planner? Are you going to sit here and say, well, I'm only going to be happy when my plans go the way that I want them to, or when I get out of this the way that I hope to, or when God's plans finally line up with me? Or are you going to seek the planner? Are you going to fall in love with him and be desperate for him to the point that you seek him with all your heart, and he promises, him, promises you that you will find him, and he will bring you back? Our God has plans that are bigger than and better than and go far beyond the things that you're struggling with right now. Amen. And I've been in exile. I've gone through things that thankfully many of you will never have to know. And I wish I could stand here and tell you this is when God brings you out of it or this is the end. It's going to be tomorrow or the next day or the next day. But let me tell you, I want to tell you the truth. And the truth is our God has bigger plans than that for you. He has better plans for you. He has plans that go beyond the hurts of today. And that is an eternity with the one who has plans, great plans, plans with you in mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you so grateful for the God that you are, a God who loves every bit of us. God, you know the hurts and the pains that are out there. And God, right now, we even confess to you. There are things that we have done that have put us in a place of exile. There are things that we have done that have hurt others or that have just shaken up and ruined the world around us. And God, we repent of those sins. God, we turn them over to you. So grateful for the grace that you have, that you offer to us every single day. God, there are things that we look to, there are words that we put our hope in rather than putting our hope into you. And God, we confess those things now. But God, we are also so grateful that you didn't stop at just making plans for our todays or our tomorrows or our next years or our next decades. But God, you have a plan for us for all of eternity. And so no matter what happens today, no matter what happens tomorrow, God, we can continue to have our hope in this, that you are a God who loves us and who has plans for us that are bigger than and better than and go beyond anything that we could ever plan ourselves. And God, we put our hope and our trust in that. God, we cry out to you and we cling on to your plans and to your promises. But God, even bigger than that, we cling on to you. So God, hear our hearts, hear our voices, hear us as we just love you and we praise you and we we cling on to you. We seek you out above all else. And so God, now hear our prayers, hear our praises as we praise you, the planner, the one who loves us beyond even this life into all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says amen. amen. Let's stand right now and receive the blessing of our Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace of knowing that he's got this because he's got plans. They're good plans and there are plans with you in mind. Let's sing this together.